Are you ready to take your cybersecurity skills to new heights? Look no further than Cybrary, the best way to learn cybersecurity skills online. With an accessible and affordable training platform, curated career paths, threat informed training, and certification preparation, Cybrary has everything you need to succeed. Visit cybrary.it today. Start for free and unlock your potential. Elevate your cybersecurity journey with Cybrary. Enjoy the podcast and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Hello, and welcome back to the Cybrary Podcast. I'm your host, Will Carlson, Senior Director of Content here at Cybrary, and I have the privilege yet again to be joined by Ron Lewis with Patero for the fourth installment of our podcast series talking about quantum. Ron, welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. Um, so for those of you um, just catching up or that may not have seen the rest of the series, we started this series and we'll conclude today with the fourth, epi- the fourth episode. But the first few episodes were really about you know, what really is quantum and then the idea that we seem to have this spectrum of what people think about quantum and cybersecurity, either chicken little, the sky is falling or those that are totally complacent and don't think it matters. Second episode where we enumerated a number of the acronyms as if Cybersecurity, Ron didn't have enough acronyms already. Enter quantum with some more Qs, um, all the Q acronyms. So we'll prepare you to understand some of those things a little bit better. And then, you know, we spent our last episode talking really about how quantum can be seen as an enabling technology for C-level leadership and security leadership, uh, you know, kind of across the spectrum of folks to really begin saying yes more instead of just having to say no and all the problems that are created uh, when as a, a security leader, you find yourself saying no too much. And, you know, excited to kind of spend a little time here on our fourth episode, really talking about diving in more, okay, now what? Like, we we hear you, we listen to all the episodes, we're, we're, we're not chicken little, we're not totally complacent, we're somewhere in the middle, but now what do we do? If as a security leader or a cybersecurity person, What's next? How do we think about pursuing quantum? How do we integrate it? Is it a bolt-on? Is it a is there a new framework I need to consider coming in? Like, where do we put people, and how do they kind of find a way forward from here, Ron? Yeah, that's that's a pretty awesome question. Well, you know, so here to now, you're right. We've talked about everything from, almost from a academic perspective, right? Kind of talking, but I'd really like to so. How do we enable businesses to make progress on their quantum journey? And, and when should they start? And, and, and how do we start? Uh, and, and so I'd like to start there, right? So the first thing that I would say is business should, should start planning their quantum journey now and start that journey as quickly as they can. So it's, it's not like you're planning a journey for you're going on vacation in 2025 if, 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 if quantum deployment was a vacation. Uh, and I wish it were, <laughs> but, you know, and it can be fun, right? I mean, you've, you've proven that. So quantum can be fun. Um, and, and a key, something very important is that that quantum journey starting now will be easier for some than, and, and, and easier than, than for others. Right. And, and part of what marks making the quantum journey easier is, you know, the, the, the first rule of security is know yourself. Right. And that comes right out of art of war. I always say, hey, if, if you don't have an, a copy of Art of War on your desk, you can't call yourself a security expert. Um, and, and I'm not I'm going to avoid reaching over and grabbing mine and showing it, but but it's here, you know. And so knowing yourself, and so organizations that have a really good handle, uh, organizations that have been started down the zero trust journey, 
uh, also will find it a little bit easier to become quantum resilient. And so those are the organizations that, uh, the other thing is, is that this journey is, 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 is a continuous journey and it makes it, it's markedly different than what we typically see in, in a security program, security endeavor. And, 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 I, and I draw parallels to zero trust a lot, right? Because with zero trust, you have to know who's communicating with whom and what's allowed. And you have to understand each of your players. And, and in, in the quantum journey, it's very similar. And, and so oftentimes you can take the lessons learned from a zero trust journey and dovetail them into a quantum journey. In fact, you can hold hands on both of those journeys and take them together in a lot of cases. So, yeah, that's interesting. I wonder, Ron, would it be safe to say that this journey also will be, is it easier for organizations with big budgets currently? And do you expect that that will change over time? Wow. So putting it in the context of a budget perspective, um, as a security guy, you know, smaller battles are easier to win than, than wars. And so I, I take a I take a page or a play out of uh, General Schwarzkopf's book, you know, from the from the Gulf Crisis, and he said, you know, he, he rallied the troops, and I'll never forget him saying this. He said, "Think big, start small, skill fast," and there was just there was so there was so profound, right? And it's like, and that applies to a lot, and I think it applies to this quantum journey, even the zero trust journey, and, and as we apply that to a budget. I mean, yes, you need to think about what the implications on the budget are going to be, but start small. You know, pick a, you know, I, I always say put a stake in the ground, you know, put a stake in the ground and, and draw a circle around the functionality that that is most important to you. Mm-hmm. Start small. Think big. Think about it from an enterprise perspective. And then build your, your scaling plan. Um, I, I, I really, so lean, so doing agile development, um, we learned a lot. And there's these lean engineering principles. One of the lean engineering principles that adapts really well to security is the Deming wheel or the Deming cycle. I always call it the Deming cycle, um, you know, because it, it kind of has its roots in, in ISO 27000, 27001. You know, so plan, do, check, act. So plan, plan out a small activity, you know, around this quantum encryption Take a set of things that need to communicate with each other that you you understand very well. Deploy your quantum security technology into that environment. Plan that. And then check it. Did it work? What worked? What didn't work? Build your lessons learned. Um, and then from those lessons learned, what are you going to do about it? You know, and then so you do some, you know, kind of uh, tweaking of your plan and then, and then you act on what you learned, right? So plan, do, check, act. And then I look at it as kind of like a spiraling out where you're continuously moving out, you know, larger into the organization, you know, one success after the other, you know, learning from your failures and, and refactoring. Yeah, no, one thing that's always, it, it struck me in every one of our conversations to date, Ron, is that, you know, at the end of it, we seem to come back to some really critical core cybersecurity fundamentals. And, and you you mentioned it, right? Know yourself. I think, that, that among others, like knowing yourself means knowing your data, knowing what you need to protect, knowing what's worth mitigating and to what extent. And it's just so interesting that me, to me that in the context of a, a topic, as some would say, esoteric or hard to understand is quantum, we end up coming back to those really, really core fundamentals. And I think you, you mentioning 27,000, 27,001 got me thinking about this and that 
I take away from all of our conversations that this very much in your position and the position of others in this space, that quantum is a solution to both the threats that we face today, and then maybe the more interesting existential threat of quantum itself that needs to fit into the organization and not be just something you build on or something that comes with all these additional standards and frameworks, or you should consider that as a component, like any other component in your security program. Yeah, absolutely. So I think of Vince Lombardi, right? So Vince Lombardi is, you know, again, like Schwarzkopf rallying the troops. And after a particularly horrible first half of a football game and they're, you know, they're, they're in the locker room and, and he reaches over and he grabs a football and he says, you know, and, he, and, the, and the team is waiting for these pearls of wisdom. And he goes, gentlemen, this is a football. <laughs> and, and he goes back to, you're messing up on the basics. You know, in insecurity, I always go back to what are the basics? Uh, and, and the basics are everything goes back to, everything is derived out of um, authentication, authorization, and auditing. And your approach to quantum doesn't change that. I mean, you, you still have to, you know, figure out who, who the user is, still have to figure out what their privileges are, and you still have to provide non-repudiation, quantum or not. And what we're talking about is harnessing a, a force of nature that fundamentally changes the way that we approach technology. But gentlemen, this is a football. You know, you go back to authentication, authorization, auditing, and how do we apply quantum to those constructs? It's interesting too, you know, speaking of some of those fundamentals, it makes me think of, you know, I, I, another one of those core fundamentals is, you know, know thyself and, and know thy adversary too. Uh, and, you know, I think, you know, b before the episode, we were talking a little bit about this, and I'd love to dig in a bit more on on your opinions about how the, the threat landscape and how adversaries have changed, and I guess expressly how their motives have changed and how that, you know, necessitates us as cybersecurity professionals changing how we approach the problem as well. Yeah, so, and so, you know, yeah, where so did I, they start? Yeah. What were their motives then? And kind of how have they progressed and why does that matter? Oh, man, so fantastic. Yeah, great discussion. Um, I go back to the, the, the real question that I get asked a lot is, why now? Why is it important to start now? And I always go back to, well, the landscape is changing. I mean, in the, in the, the 80s, it was hacking for notoriety, hacking for attention, hacking for bragging rights. You know, and and, and 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 before the episode, I mentioned Kevin Mitnick, right? And because Kevin Kevin was a prolific hacker, and and very good at what he did, but it was you know hackers back then it was all about getting attention and bragging rights. Well, that that shifted as the government started taking action against hackers, and it was no longer for fun; that was for profit. And so you know, there there has to be a reward equal to the risk, and bragging rights are no longer you know, the, the best reward. And so we, we saw a fundamental shift in 2000 uh, and, and on that it was now hacking for profit. Well, something happened in, in you know, at the, at the height of COVID and it's another fundamental shift. And now it's no longer hacking for profit. It's weaponization. And so enemy nation states are taking actions to weaponize open source components like we saw with PyTorch, right? A nightly build of PyTorch that was used to exfiltrate data because it's it's a tool used by data scientists. And we're, we're seeing 
weaponization of networks. We're seeing a, a massive increase in distributed denial of service. We're seeing a massive increase in ransomware, and it's no longer targeting data. You know, it's because because back then data data is money, right? Data is power. Now it's weaponizing against the cyber physical integrations. So why now? Because lives are at stake. It's more than just money, and it's more than just more than just data. And which which brings us to the liability question, right? And so, you know, I've often heard companies go, "Well, you know, we we want to take a a, a slow and methodical approach to to handling our vulnerabilities, you know, and and tightening down our our uh, security architecture." looking at our risk posture. And we can afford to do that because we have cyber insurance. I mean, what the worst thing that can happen is we file a claim. Well, suddenly insurance companies are, are very cognizant of the liability aspects of when something goes wrong in cyber. And they're becoming more and more reluctant. So it goes back to, and, and, and I think we joked around about this, I, I have quite a few uh, auto accidents. You know, my wife has none. And so when we go get insurance, on a new car, it's like, um, Ron's not allowed to drive this car. Because <laughs> 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 because it's a question of how insurable am I, am I as a driver based on previous incidents. And now we see cyber insurance companies going back to the basics, right? They go back to cyber hygiene. Um, how insurable is this company? What is the risk? What is the liability that we're signing up for? And they're becoming more and more reluctant and, and a little bit more critical about who they're willing to insure. Yeah, I mean, as you're, as the actuarials are running the numbers and insurance companies are continuing to pay out more and more and more, and, and you're certain that they're doing the analysis of that. And when you see that I'm, I'm, I'm an insurance company, I'm having to pay out more and more and more, the numbers are not stacking up right. Oh, and by the way, how many of the organizations that we paid out for are not following basic best practices? Yeah. Or any practices at all in many cases. They're just, to your point, and not to, to cast too wide a net, but there are certainly many that just rely on having insurance. And for a while, that was good enough. But I think, you know, in talking with professionals in the space, rates have continued to climb and climb and climb and climb. Now, in lots of cases, you're just prohibitively expensive, leaving cybersecurity leaders to go, well, now what do we do? And or having to prove that they are compliant with some basic standard that the insurance company knows is indicative of the health of their cybersecurity program to get a rate that's even palatable. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really tough situation to be in, I think, for everybody. But interesting to your point about notoriety, I think, you know, I'm definitely old enough to remember when um, hacking was a way to get a quick ticket into a government agency um, and, and a smooth ride. Um, and I think you're right around the late 1990s, a number of pieces of legislation, both here in the United States and abroad were passed to make that uh, uh, much more severely punishable. Um, you know, some of our communications legislation was around from the 50s and 60s and still not updated until then. Um, so then it makes it a lot less appealing and intra-organized crime. And now I, I agree very much to your point with um, you know, all of the critical infrastructure sectors being attacked and targeted, and we don't even know um, how, you know, not to be chicken little in a different direction, but it's <laughs> sometimes very hard to know how infiltrated they even are today. And, you know, your water system, your electric grid, your financial bank, your banking system, you're bringing any of those down, and it's a, a really quick way to, to cripple an economy and a people. And so I think it very much has turned to a wartime activity uh, in a very big way, probably more than we all realize.
I, I think there, we used to use an expression, honor among thieves. Right? And, and there used to be a generally accepted, hey, the following things are off limits. You know, hospitals, you know, we don't, we don't attack hospitals. We don't, we don't attack anything where children could be involved. We don't, we don't attack anything, you know, that, you know, where it could be critical infrastructure related, where, where there's life and, you know, life and limb at stake. And those kind of used to be the, the rules of the underground, if, if I'm, you know, if, if I understand, you know, the theory there. Um, but all of that seems to be gone now. And, and we, we saw a, a hack, now, a hacktivism is a thing. Which is always funny. It's it's weird. It sounds sounds great when it rolls off the tongue, but hacktivists are are now a thing, you know. And and I, and I think about I think was it the 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 Sony movie about North Korea with hmm. Seth Rogen, where supposedly the North Koreans took out Sony as a in response. And I think that kind of started leading that weaponization. Yeah, I wouldn't really on that, but that 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 strikes me as the one of the points in which things started to shift. So having all that be the case, um, you know, help me understand is, is, is quantum just a, another solution that I can bolt on? Is it like going buying a new SIM or a new EDR? And I, I put this box in the environment. Now all of a sudden I have the easy button for a zero trust and I'm, I'm good to go. Or is quantum fundamentally different than some of the other security solutions that we we've used in the past? Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's a, another Really good question. So a lot of times we think about security programs as introducing new technologies like a SIM or like an XDR, EDR, XDR. Um, and, and there's there's a lot of elements of those that, that remains the same, right? So again, knowing yourself, understanding where you're going to deploy, but it's a fundamental shift. You know, quantum physicists will tell you that it's not a technology. It's a force of nature. And in a lot of ways, they're right, right? And so we think about, so if you, if you go back to, to the way the technology has advanced and changed, if we go back to the 40s and the 50s, you know, and you think about Grace Hopper, and way, way back in the 40s, we, everything was done on an analog machine, and, and then the transistor, and the shift from, you know, a non-deterministic compute to a deterministic compute, zeros and ones, that was a force of nature, and it fundamentally revolutionized the way that we handle compute and, and, and uh, created an ability to do some amazing things. Um, what we're looking at now is very similar to the, the tra- introdu- introduction of the transistor and the ideas of zeros and ones and deterministic compute. Uh, quantum is very much the same way, in, in my opinion. It's a force of nature. Now, you harness that, much like we harnessed electricity, much like we harnessed digital circuits, and we apply that to the security paradigm as we're applying the, that force of nature to other disciplines and, and using quantum to do, you know, amazing things. Yeah, so we really were, were, I think it's probably safe to say that we're turning the corner from, you know, quantum living in the realm of almost exclusively primary research. And we're beginning to see applied research of quantum as a field begin to impact, uh, you know, the world around us, admittedly, but pointedly here, cybersecurity. Is that an accurate characterization, you think? I think so. You know, and, and I go back to, if you look at, so, so technology evolves on a curve, uh, you know, and, and it's not a linear equation. And you look at the, the earmarks of technology changes that are happening today. 
And so you think about the things that amaze me. Um, I remember fuzzy logic. I don't know if you remember fuzzy logic, but fuzzy logic is what we call AI today, right? Because again, non-deterministic uh, capability, um, not, not based on decision points, but inference. And so we call that fuzzy logic. It's AI today. And I remember struggling with, with getting computers to, you know, feel like they were human. And it wasn't that long ago where when we talked to chatbots, it was extremely annoying because it was obvious that it was just a chatbot, you know. And, and now we look at technology and technology is advancing uh, to where, you know, chatbots sound human. You know, look at Amelia AI, right? So uh, Amelia is one of my favorites because it really does, you can have a conversation with Amelia. So we did it. We did a demo with Amelia where we were talking about, um, I need to check my, my bank balance. You know, and I'm kind of in a hurry because there's a boxing match coming on. And and Amelia responds, I really like Floyd Merriweather, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, you know, he lost the last two fights, but or, or what I'm not into boxing, but you know, and she starts having a conversation with me about boxing. And she goes, Now, did you want to check your checking balance or your savings balance? And she was able to divert and come back and and ask all of these depths of questions. The reason that I mentioned that is from a compute perspective, the need for compute is rapidly coming to a place where it exceeds what we're able to do with this digital computer. And, we're, and as these technologies become more mainstream, the need for quantum becomes even greater. You know, and then what typically happens, I always say, with innovation, features come first, security is an afterthought. And I go back to, I go back to you know, Henry Ford and the Wright brothers. You know, Henry Ford was the first person to have a car wreck. And, and as a result of that, brakes were discovered, <laughs> the need for brakes. You know? <laughs> and and, and, and the, the Wright brothers were the first to crash an airplane, um, you know, and then and flight safety, you know, came out of that. So, but we don't want to do that with quantum security. We don't want quantum security to be an afterthought. It's too critical. And so we go back to, well, what, what do we use quantum to, to, how do we use quantum to protect things today? You know, and, and the obvious solutions are, quantum communication, so protecting communications using quantum. We know our adversaries are going to use quantum or, or are using quantum now um, as, as a weapon, so weaponized quantum against uh, encryption. And we, 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 we can talk through that, but, I mean, we've got a whole podcast on that, right? And so uh, the, the easiest place to start adopting quantum security is in the whole quantum, you know, quantum-protected communication realm. And we have a podcast on, well, what... What should we use? QKD, PQR, PQE, and that goes back to all the. I, I call it the Sesame Street episode. Right? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Alphabet soup for sure. Um, and and what industries do you think? Uh, this is may, maybe a foregone conclusion, but what industries do you think um, should be really planning out and thinking out ahead here and and more quantum mature, if I, if I can phrase it that way. Uh, are there any, should it be all, or are there particular ones that you think, um, you know, we as cybersecurity professionals and, you know, people who live in this world, again, where um, there's, you know, not unrealistically life and limb on the line, where, where should we be focused? Who should be pursuing? What sectors are most interested in quantum today, in your opinion? Oh, yeah. So there, there, so the, the two right off the top of, of my head that I think are most important would be critical infrastructure. So I go back to, um, you know, the fourth industrial revolution. Now we're going into the quantum revolution. The fourth industrial re revolution kind of led way into the, what, what I'm going to call the fifth revolution, fifth industrial revolution. So 
you know, our, our listeners here to, heard it here first on on cyber right? um, that quantum revolution, uh, the fi- cy- fi- uh, cyber physical integration areas of cyber physical integration. So those are critical infrastructure. Go back to weaponization. If you're going to have a weapon, you're going to point it at where it will have the the, the greatest impact, and and the place where you know weaponization is having the greatest impact is you know, those cyber physical realms. So I think critical infrastructure, things like power grid, EV charging, uh, those type of environments. The second is logistics. And we're seeing massive attacks against supply chain, you know, and, 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 and I hear supply chain security being talked about a lot. We often talk about supply chain from a, a source composition analysis perspective, the use of open source and applications as supply chain. And yes, that's, that's one aspect. But we're seeing larger attacks against, you know, the cyber physical supply chain. So moving goods from point A to point B in the production of goods, manufacturing environments. Um, and, and what amazes me and that I'm seeing more and more is our, our enemies are using our security methods against us. And a good example of that is in the manufacturing and industrial IoT space, we're, we're deploying encryption methodologies. But we're doing it on chips that just really don't have the compute complexity capability of actually supporting encryption. And so attackers have discovered that they can use those little devices as entry points into an infrastructure. So the very thing that we set up to protect us is being used to cripple us. And so these are the places where I think we really need to start applying quantum. Do you think that means that organizations that aren't in either of those areas, um, do they get a pass for now? We'll worry about that in another 10 years, 20. Maybe we won't worry about it at all. Or do you expect that it will change and, and they should at least be planning and being thoughtful now? So I, I think we're going to see a, a rapid adoption of quantum on a large scale. But keep in mind that it takes about 10 years for technology and you know, so standards and regulation and policy and technology maturing and, and all of that blending into something that becomes mainstream and, and recognizable. Um, it takes about 10 years for that. Uh, and, and I think that organizations uh, that aren't critical infrastructure should start planning the journey today, um, understanding that uh, making the right decisions around how you implement the quantum controls is important to start planning today. I, I think, you know, and, and I go back to sometimes we think, well, someone loses data. And it's okay to lose a little bit of data. We have insurance for that. <laughs> and uh, but when we, when we go back to critical infrastructure, and the reason that I focus on critical infrastructure, everybody should be looking at quantum and, and quantum security. But I look at uh, the critical infrastructure because of the implications. You said it best, I think, in our last podcast. You said something, and you have a wonderful way of, of kind of these, these nuggets of wisdom. And you said, Probability times impact equals risk, and and that's a, that's a that's an interesting nugget. And so we go back to, you know, where should we apply quantum, where the, where there's the greatest risk, right? Um, and now, I mean, you can read the news; the risk is high, but because you know, based on what we're seeing in the news, probability is also pretty high. And so, you know, characterizing if I was going to be asked, we're, we're characterizing the the. The, the landscape and the, the risk of the landscape, I would say critical infrastructure, anywhere there's cyber physical integration, 
Yeah, it is really interesting to frame it that way, I think. In my, in my opinion, the the impact, obviously, from the critical infrastructure space is, you know, should something happen, very high. Um, you know, the colonial pipeline incident, in the scheme of things, didn't last all that long, the actual incident. But the fallout of that incident showed up. I, I tell you, it showed up at the pump for quite a while to come after that and in other places as well. So the, you know, the 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 risk the impact of those things is relatively high and then i think when you start thinking about that very much in the frame of you know is this a weaponization or a wartime activity engaged by nation state actors i think the probability of these things also goes up as you know um why would i wage a war against somebody like the united states for example on their own turf when i can wage it remotely where where proving that we did it is significantly harder and we can do it from the safety of our own home yeah. um, with the funding of a, a nation state to go behind it. Like, you know, so I think the probability of these things is also increasing. And again, you, you, you work the simple math and the impact is really high and the probability is increasing because it's not just somebody off the street looking for a little notoriety and uh, the risk climbs dramatically relatively fast. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because we're seeing this evolution on both sides. So, you know, I, I teach security engineering, cyber engineering courses, and it's it's interesting to me that over the last 10 years, over the last decade, the starting point of these courses has shifted as students have become, you know, more knowledgeable in the, the cyber engineering, cybersecurity arena. And so what we're seeing is a constant evolution of both, you know, offensive and defensive tactics, right? And so, we, we we see, you know, cyber defenders, and it's it's very interesting. It's like I go back to take you know, put a stake in the ground, you know, nail down your methodology, nail down your needs, um, and then start evolving your security program around those needs. And and we see that from a defensive perspective, and then we see all of these. I don't know. Um, chat Chat GPT seems to be in the news a lot. You know what I'm. <laughs> I'm waiting for the weaponization of, of chat GPT. And, and I think I go back to, and the weaponization isn't asking chat GPT to write me some malware. Right. I think it's, I think it's a little bit deeper than that. Absolutely. I, I wonder, you know, a, a, another thread here to pull on is, well, as an organization, I don't want to be too far out ahead on the technology curve. I'll just wait for some standards to come about. Yeah. I'll just sit until that's done. And, you know, in my experience, I've been around the field long enough and that standards are hard. The agencies <laughs> that produce them are usually governmental, which tends to slow things down. There's a certain amount of scientific rigor pointing to, and, and happy for you to correct me if, if, if you feel I'm wrong or see differently, like standards are not necessarily fast. So I would argue that depending on your, you know, what your risk profile looks like, are you critical infrastructure? We, we may be at a point with some of these things that, waiting for a standard to come out may not be fast enough. Yeah. So completely agree. So I, I like to go back to the Vince Lombardi statement, gentlemen, this is a football. Um, and, and it's really important to identify your gaps, right? And so I go back to, well, how do you do that? Um, what's a good framework for that? And I, and I really like the ISO 27,000 series, right? Because it's 27,001 and 27,002 give a very nice framework for understanding security needs, understanding security mission, um, allowing a, an organization to prioritize mission needs 
you don't have to do this all at once. It's a journey and it's a, it's a perpetual journey, you know, and it's, it's, it's adding fidelity to your security management system mm-hmm. uh, over time. And so 27,001 gives a, I mean, it breaks it down into 14 control groups. Um, and, and I think one of the things that I'm going to do is, is go back to ISO 27,001, those 14 control groups and, and amend them and, and add a, add a quantum uh, perspective on those control groups, which I think would have some significant value. But I mean, that's not something that anybody has to wait on me. I mean, that's every, every security manager can look at that. And then again, going back to starting small, thinking big, scaling fast, you know, apply it to, you know, pick your big rocks, you know, and then pick a big rock, right? Prioritize your mission needs, pick, pick a mission need and, and, and pick a mission need that, that your enemies, whoever they might be, whether it's a competitor or, you know, whether, whether it's an enemy nation state because it's critical infrastructure um, or, or, or gives an adversarial advantage to someone, you know, pick a mission need, start there. Um, take a look at ISO 27001. Look at the control groups. W- what control groups have you applied, you know, as an organization to that, you know, that mission need? What's missing? And then looking back at the plan, do, check, act. You use the, the iterative Deming wheel or Deming cycle to, you know, add fidelity. And then, and then spiral off from there. You mean that um, an organization shouldn't deploy a security solution because Patero or some other security vendor told them they should, Ron? I can't, I can't imagine. <laughs> so it has to make business sense, right? It's like, I, you know, and, and I talk to business leaders a lot. And it's like, oh, how do I know how much to spend on security? You know, and, and it's, it's like a, you know, I feel like a gangster. It's like, what's it worth to you? <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> That is a really hard question to answer, right? It would be nice if, you know, maybe, Ron, if we could figure out how to, you know, some, some equation to solve that problem, we, we, you know, we might be doing very different things than this, but I, I'm just not certain that one exists. I'm sorry. Even if you had it, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have the right inputs and we would squabble about that too. So, um, yeah, so that's where a quantum computer comes in, right? So the non-deterministic <laughs> input, kicking, spitting out, you know, what is the answer, 42? Yeah, yes, that's right. Uh, I love the reference. Um, if, you, if you don't know it, go look it up. The, the, <laughs> the meaning of life, the universe, and everything is 42. Um, you know, Ron, so I, I guess, where does that leave us? I, you know, have, have we closed the loop on the discussion for where things stand today in that, you know, um, this is what quantum is and whether or not you should be concerned about it and what's what's fake news, as it were, and what's reality here's some basic understanding of the things and the technologies and the expressions of that, you know, primary research and how it's being applied today in our episode with all the cues and the acronyms. And then, you know, how this empowers and enables uh, strategic leaders is the previous episode. And then this one about, you know, where do you really start? Who should be concerned? Why should we really be concerned? How does that fit into the cybersecurity program? Um, have we closed the loop or are there other things, you know, what's next for people in this realm? Is it, um, you know, is it more continue to pay attention, watch and learn? I think so. So I, I go back to, you know, if you, if you ever go back and watch the movies coming out of the eighties, so much, or the TV shows like Miami Vice, I love that because you, you see these guys and they're holding these super cool cell phones or what was super cool in the eighties. Right. And, and they're huge, and they've got these long antennas. I, I would have never, never been able to guess 
a flip phone, you know, or a phone that, you know, it, it, the, the one thing I never use my phone for, my mobile phone for is phone calls. <laughs> you know, I use it for everything. And so my point is, you know, we don't know what the cell phone of the quantum era is going to be. But we do need know that we need to start preparing because there's a fundamental shift, you know, and, and we can take everything that we learned. I mean, so you asked me in the first episode, how real is the quantum threat? You know, and, and we talked about Shore versus Grover and the algorithms and what they mean and, and how likely it is for a quantum computer to be able to uh, exploit Shores and Grover, you know, and, and, and pragmatically, the sky is not falling, but, but it will fall eventually. Right. And so, and then the next question is, it's kind of like when the doctor goes, I've got bad news. And, and the patient says, well, how, how, how long do I have? <laughs> you know, it's like, how, how long do we have to start putting things together? And, and the answer is not long enough. Right. And so it's like, don't, don't wait, start, start preparing today. And then, and then the, 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 we, we talked about in the second episode, we talked about and there's just so many quantum technologies and there's so many uh, quantum security vendors that are you know, coming to the market and saying, you, you need me, you need my product. And, and how do you differentiate what's real from, from, from what's not, you know, and how do you, how do you pick, you know, and then once you've differentiated what's real and what's not, how do you pick the best fit for, for my quantum needs? Right. And so we cover that, you know, in the, in the Sesame Sesame Street episode, you know all the cues, you know, and then and then we talked about well, what's the value? What's the benefit, you know, of of quantum, and it's it's a fundamental shift from, you know, to to from no you can't to yes I can, <laughs> you know, or or yes you can, but now is is absolutely you can do that, and here's how, right? And so that's that's an important, and then we wrap up with, so so that all sounds great. I'm in. I know I need to do quantum, but now what? <laughs> you know, and how do I justify it from a business case perspective? And so that goes back to, you know, picking the right mission need. What's the value to the company? So go back to the, the statement, what's it worth to you? I mean, and that's your business case. And, and it's, it's no longer because of cyber insurance, a matter of money. And, and, you know, when you're quantifying value, now you're quantifying impact. Not not financial impact, but impact holistically on on the on the organization as a whole. So, yeah, no, absolutely. I think, and, and you know, for for people at this point of the series that are thinking that, you know, maybe you're tired, maybe you're over all the change. Um, we've seen these things before, and we talked about this a little bit in a number of the episodes as well. Like, this is not the first iteration of this similar pattern. Um, organizations, entities have things that others want and others will find a way to get what they need to accomplish their objectives. And that will perpetually be uh, the cat and mouse game that it has always been. And it certainly will continue to evolve. And, you know, I think whether we like it or not, um, you can either begin preparing and know that that's the pace of change in cybersecurity and embrace it, love it or hate it. Or I think not to put too fine a point on it, Ron, Unfortunately, you run the risk of becoming a victim of somebody else keeping up with that pace of change when you're not. And I, I you know, I understand and am sympathetic to, you know, people and organizations that think, oh, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't do this next thing. Like, when is it going to stop? But I, I believe and have been doing this long enough to know that 
it's just not going to stop. It will stop when you don't have anything of value for somebody to come take it. And, and, And I'll tell you, my concern is I always worry about a false sense of security, right? And I think of the first episode, I told you that I grew up, you know, relatively poor and my parents saved for two years to buy me a bicycle bicycle for Christmas. And, you know, I didn't want them to have the burden of buying a bicycle chain. So I bought it myself with my allowance. And I went to the equivalent of a dollar store. <laughs> you know, what's it worth to you? I lost my bike and the guy didn't even take the chain. Um, you know, and so, but I had a false sense of security. I thought I was secure. And my concern you know, is about, there, there's so many shifting technologies and it's alphabet soup and it's not just quantum. So, I mean, we talk about DSPM, CNAP and all of these, you know, it's acronym soup, right? <laughs> Pick an acronym and, and you get buried by Gartner and Forrester and it's all very good information, but it's just hard to put everything into the right mindset. What do I really need? And so that's where I think, you know, taking a practical approach to where do I get started? With, with all of the emerging technologies, you go back to ISO twenty seven thousand one as a as a framework. Um, put your put your stake in the ground. Look at your control groups. I go back to gentlemen. This is a football. This is an authentication mechanism. This is an authorization mechanism. This is an auditing mechanism. And this is what I need to protect my organization. This is what needs protecting. This is its value from a mission perspective. This is this is the impact on our customers. Mm-hmm. And then start structuring, you know, you know, do, do you have an edge? <laughs> you know, so do I have an edge? Do I need CNAP? I, I don't have any edge compute, so I don't know, you know. But uh, do I need cloud native access protocols or whatever? And so you go back to, you know, what are the controls? Where are they placed? What are the right types of controls? And as you're doing that, keep in mind that, you know, technologists are harnessing a force of nature and that there's a fundamental shift in how we do things coming. So as you look at these control groups that are spelled out in 27,001 and then how to implement them out of 27,002, take the technologies that we're reading about, including quantum, and, and, and of course, from my perspective, very importantly, quantum, you know, and, and apply these to these frameworks so that you can take a structured and methodical approach and then understand that it's not going to happen overnight. It's not like a firewall or a SIM or an XDR where you just roll it out to the organization and it affects one aspect of your organization. It's a fundamental shift. It's it's like packing up all your stuff and moving to another state. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Ron, I want to thank you for your time with us. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that we had the opportunity to have these discussions. I'll admit to being a little sad that this is the last episode, but I'm certain that, uh, you know, Patero and Cyberry will continue to be in touch. And, you know, maybe we have Ron back again to talk about things as they develop. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm certain the audience and the viewers got a lot out of the discussion. If you haven't caught the other three episodes, please catch up. They're in the back catalog. We'd love for you to watch them. We'd love to hear from you. Please let us know if you have any questions, concerns. And, and, you know, Ron does mention in one of those episodes a little bit of an inflaming comment. So any uh, quantum physicists, feel free to reach out to Ron directly with your frustration <laughs> about his simplification of a concept or two. But, Ron, thank you so much. Thanks to Patero for joining the, the chat and the conversation to, you know, further this discussion. It's much appreciated. Thanks, Will. Cybrary, the premier cybersecurity skill development platform, is empowering individuals and teams to secure the future of technology. See why 3 million people have already signed up when you visit www.cybrary.it.